Welcome to the Stereoactive Movie Club. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm here with Alicia, Laura, Mia, and Stephen. And we're going to be talking about the 1958 film Vertigo, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. But let's first introduce ourselves. Laura, what have you watched since the last time we recorded? I watched, um, it's called Harper, 1966, um, Paul Newman film. Uh, William Goldman wrote it. He wrote All the President's Men. Um, he's a great writer. It was really cool. And it's in Technicolor. So that was really fun. And I also watched Get Carter, <laughs> the Michael Caine 1971 revenge British crime film that I was amazing and brutal and violent. And I guess the only thing that those two films have in common, aside from being two really hot lead, <laughs> leading men is that they're part of the neo-noir movement, I guess, on some level. Mm -hmm. So but they were really amazing to watch. I highly recommend both. Great. And Mia? Um, so I watched several movies, but I'll just mention two quickly. I watched North by Northwest, which I'd never seen before and fit in well, obviously, with watching Vertigo. Um, and I watched Moulin Rouge, which is one of my favorite movies, and I hadn't seen it in a really long time. So that was a really nice treat. Yes, I also watched those. Um, <laughs> and we also watched together False Positive, which I thought was not very good, unfortunately. Um, and then I watched Summer of Soul, that Questlove documentary about the Harlem Cultural Festival, which was, I thought, really excellent. I saw No Sudden Move, the new Soderbergh movie on HBO Max, which was pretty solid. I finally caught up with Kajillionaire. And if you like Miranda July's films, you'll like this movie. I liked it a lot. It kind of snuck up on me. At first, I was, wasn't sure if I was going to like it. I rewatched Star Trek from 2009. I saw Black Widow. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, wait, wait. Black Widow. How was it? I, it was okay. It wasn't like amazing or anything, but it's it's like all of those Marvel <laughs> movies, even the, the lesser Marvel movies eventually feel like they're building to something and feel like they're uh, sort of elevated by being a part of this bigger thing. Um, so it was fun. And so it's like elevating things the way they talk about elevating coffee or elevating your snack. Sure. <laughs> I'm not sure, but maybe. Uh, elevated. It's the people use it in advertisements a lot lately, but go uh, on. I'm sorry. Uh, I rewatched Broadcast News. That's a movie. I've, I guess it was only my second time seeing it. I liked it better this time. Um, still not quite there at the <laughs> level that other people love that movie these days. We, well, we both started to rewatch, or I started to rewatch Punch Truck Love. She was not enjoying it and was also very tired. I just, uh, so. I've like made myself <laughs> fall asleep because I was just like, I can't stand this movie. Oh my God, yeah. what is happening? I forgot how stressful that it's, movie is. It was like, it is. I, yeah. yeah. I've it's seen it too. Super intense. I think it just wasn't what I was expecting. Like, if I had been like, oh, that's what this is going to be like, I would have mm -hmm. been fine. But I thought it was going to be like a cute indie love story. And instead, it was like watching Uncut Gems, but like starting it at like 10 o'clock at night yeah. last night. And I was just like, I'm not yeah. here for this. Right. I just came from seeing ron at the austin film society the kurosawa movie from the 80s is based on king lear uh, mm. and it's really fucking good um it's anytime anybody gets a chance to maybe see that movie on a big screen 
I say jump at it because that's the way to see that movie. It's it's like big and bold and and just super impressive. Um, yeah, and I mean it's made by a director who at that point was like forty or fifty years into his career and just like knew how to do everything perfectly well. <laughs> um, it's just really impressive. And uh, that's it, Stephen. How about you? That's it. Sorry, it's been a while since we recorded. So. I know. Yeah, I watched a bunch of movies, but there I'm only going to talk about two that I saw that were new. Um, and it was also two movies that Jeremiah saw, which was Summer of Soul, um, which I really enjoyed um, just because there was a lot of cultural and also historical stuff that was in there that it was really interesting. And it always makes me want to go back and really look at that time period mm-hmm. um, just because it's just like it's kind of like a slice of life and. You know, there's a lot of other things that kind of occur today that also occurred back in that day. Yeah. Um, and then I also saw Black Widow um, and I did enjoy it. And I did see that in a the theater, actually, when I was um, in New Hampshire visiting my family and I had the rumble seats and got the huge popcorn. And it was it was a really enjoyable, like fun movie. So I, nice. that's what I saw. And Alicia. So the only other movie I watched besides Vertigo was also Summer of Soul, <laughs> which I also really enjoyed. And um yeah, it was moving and um, and just interesting and actually fascinating and sad too because it was left on the shelf for such a long time and yeah. it really shouldn't have been at all. Um, but yeah, and so that's it. I was in Mexico, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Um, so for those who may not have listened to the show before, this is a podcast where the five of us are discussing movies that have appeared on Sight & Sound Magazine's poll of the greatest movies ever made that comes out every 10 years. The next poll will be out in 2022, so we're basically using that as our prompt to watch some classic movies ahead of it. And again, this time we're talking about Vertigo. But before we get into the history and background of the movie, what did each of us know about the movie going into this viewing? Who had seen it before? If not, what were you expecting, if anything? And Laura, since you picked this one, why don't you start us off and tell us why you chose it? I have seen North by Northwest a few times. I've seen Psycho and I've seen Spellbound and I'm to catch a thief, but I know that I haven't. I mean, he has Hitchcock is, he's got like 50 films that I have not seen and, or maybe 47 or something, (laughs) but I really wanted to watch a Hitchcock film. My expectations, and this is embarrassing, but I'm just going to be honest here. Uh, I thought this was rear window. I thought there was going to be some paraplegic Mm, in a fucking mm -hmm. wheelchair with his binoculars. And no, it wasn't that. So that's what I knew. And I was wrong again. And uh, yeah. I I think that's fair, though. I mean, it's it's too. I I mean, I thought Vertigo obviously had Vertigo. So he had to sit, you know, like it all made sense. It all added up in my mind. Yeah, I think if you haven't seen them, it's easy to not know. In Laura logic. I think in in logic logic. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, Stephen, how about you? Uh, Had you seen it before or what were you expecting or? Um, yeah, I saw this a long time ago when I took a film class in college, um, and I really loved it. It's one of my favorite Hitchcock movies. And like Laura, it's funny because like whenever I hear Psycho, I think it's Vertigo. 
it's really weird, like it, just because they're really short, <laughs> I guess the titles. And the end um, with O. Yeah, exactly. So I had to remember when I was looking for the movie to watch, I was like, no, it's not Psycho. It's not Psycho. Um, but I remembered really loving this story and um, really following it along just because it was a, you know, it was a linear plot, but yet there was a lot of other things to look at while you're watching it. So I remembered really liking it, but I haven't seen it in over 20 years. Okay. And Alicia? Yeah, I've seen this movie a lot of times. Um, I think I even saw it like maybe with you and Mia on the big screen in Chelsea one time. I think it was just us, me and you. Oh, maybe just me yeah, and I've you. I've never seen okay. it before. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, I always really enjoyed it. And I've, uh, yeah, I, I like Hitchcock. And it's funny that you guys mentioned that you thought it was two different movies because I knew which movie it was, but I was mentioning it to my mom on the phone today. And she thought it was like a movie that starred Barbara Stanwyck and Cary Grant and was black and white, which I have no idea. I don't mm. think that movie even <laughs> exists. <laughs> but yeah, it seems like a lot of people um, don't know which movie Vertigo is, which is weird to me, but okay. <laughs> right. And Mia? I think that should be our question to the Facebook group. Do you know what movie Vertigo is? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I'd never seen this movie before, but Jeremiah has a little poster of it um, that he's going to tilt up so everyone can see it here. Uh, but in the poster, it looks like they're jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. So I just thought that's what the climax was going to be <laughs> or like her falling off of it or like that was how she was going to try and kill herself or something. So I kind of kept waiting for that moment. Um, but other than that, I had no expectations other than I was looking forward to watching it because I like Psycho. I like North by Northwest. Um, obviously, Hitchcock is, you know, a master filmmaker. So, yeah, I was looking forward to it and I was not disappointed. Yeah, I think this is at least my third time seeing it because I remember watching it, I believe, in the late 90s after it had been restored and there was a big push, uh, promotional push as it came out in theaters. I don't think I, I didn't see it in theaters then. I saw it when it came out on video, but I, I clearly remember watching Siskel and Ebert and them talking about Vertigo and it, and really talking it up. And that really set my expectations high at the time. And I remember watching the movie and being like, I don't get it. Um, I like there was so much about it I appreciated, but I just I think I was too young at the time or something because I've I've since gone back to it. I I can't remember if I saw it in between then and when Alicia and I saw it a couple of years ago. Um, I don't think I did, but I remember enjoying it and appreciating it a lot more that time. And I don't think it hurt that we saw it on the big screen. And it's you know, that's just like a fun experience for, for old movies sometimes. And, uh, yeah, so I went into it knowing that I like it, that my enjoyment of it is, is increased on subsequent viewings and expecting the same. And, uh, we'll see if it lived up to that. So as I've often done on the show, I'm going to read from an entry in the ultimate encyclopedia of the movies, which I got when I was in high school and was first getting into movies. As always, the parts that may be more subjective aren't for me personally, but perhaps we can delve into those things as we get into our group discussion. Alfred Hitchcock's marvelously elusive and oblique thriller, Vertigo, is the key work in the director's oeuvre, regarded by many as his most realized picture. A 1990 survey of French critics placed it second behind Citizen Kane as the greatest movie ever made. 
A creation of perfect symmetry and strangeness, it is the closest the master of suspense ever came to an out-and-out art movie. Set in a steeply graded dreamscape San Francisco, Vertigo's vision is subjective to the point of distortion, rooted in the consciousness of Scotty Ferguson, played by James Stewart, haunted by the suicide of a beautiful blonde housewife and obsessively trying to mold a brunette lookalike into a dead woman's image. There's a hypnotic, otherworldly pool to Vertigo that's communicated through a weird blend of ingredients. Bernard Herrmann's moody score, Hitchcock's pioneering use of the disorienting pull-back zoom-in camera shot, and Kim Novak's distant, passively sexual turn as the dual object of Scotty's unhealthy desire. The picture also sees the culmination of Hitchcock's reinvention of Stewart, formerly American cinema's perennial good guy. It's a process that began with Rope in 1948, where the director cast him as a clinical Nietzschean professor and continued with the splendid Rear Window in 1954, which found him playing an impotent, compulsive voyeur. With Vertigo, the process is complete, rendering homespun Jimmy unrecognizable as the unstable, unreliable hero figure, sexually obsessed, and a would-be necrophiliac. It's just another indispensable piece to his beguiling abstract puzzle, a Hall of Mirrors movie that demands multiple viewings. Again, that was an entry in the ultimate encyclopedia of the movies. Adapted from a 1954 French novel, whose title translates to From Among the Dead, Vertigo was developed by Hitchcock, along with a few different screenwriters, before he ended up with a script that suited what he wanted. One of the major storytelling changes from the book to the film is that in the book, the revelation that Judy was part of the plot to do away with Madeline wasn't revealed until the end, whereas in the movie, the audience learns of this two-thirds in. The film premiered in May of 1958. Reviews at the time were mixed, as was audience reception with the film not performing quite as well as previous Hitchcock films, though the film certainly had its champions even when it was first released. Over time, appreciation for Vertigo has grown and grown, with some pinpointing Robin Wood's book, Hitchcock's Films Revisited, as the beginning of a major boom. Wood wrote in the mid-60s that it was, quote, Hitchcock's masterpiece to date and one of the four or five most profound and beautiful films the cinema has yet given us. It was restored and re-released for the first time in more than a decade in the early 1980s after Universal Pictures acquired the rights to some of Hitchcock's films from his estate. And there was a major restoration and re-release again in 1996 that included use of more modern techniques to remaster some of the more degraded elements or even re-record some sound effects. It was nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Art Direction, Set Direction, and Best Sound. Hitchcock was nominated for Outstanding Directorial Achievement by the Directors Guild, and the film was on the lauded French film magazine Cahiers du Cinema's top 10 list for the year. The Village Voice named it the third greatest film of the 20th century in 1999. Also, it ranked number 61 on the AFI 100 Years 100 Movies list in 1998, then jumped to number 9 when they updated their list in 2007. To give a sense of what was popular at the time, Gigi and its director, Vincent Minnelli, won Best Picture and Best Director at the Oscars for 1958, while South Pacific and Anti-Mame were the top two grossing movies in North America that year. As for our purposes, Vertigo first appeared on Sight & Sound Magazine's critics' poll of the greatest films of all time in 1972, tied as a runner-up at number 12. It's appeared on the list every time since, moving up to number 7, then number 4, then number 2, before in 2012, 
being named the greatest film of all time, overtaking Citizen Kane from the spot it had held for 60 years. Meanwhile, it had also been named the sixth greatest film on the director's poll in both 1992 and 2002, then came in at number seven in 2012. So, Laura, since this was your pick, again, why don't you start us off with your thoughts on the film? Did it live up to your expectations uh, of being Rear Window or, or, or not? <laughs> you know, I'm listening to everyone's intro and how the film affected them is making me even more nervous. <laughs> I was so meh about this movie. Um, I, you know, the fact that you brought up the two thirds of the way through, we find she writes that letter, you know, that was just, it basically gave you the plot, which is fine. But I mean, here's Jimmy Stewart, older, um, being nothing but a full-on creep soda <laughs> for, for 90% of the film. And it's just, it was not what I wanted to watch. I didn't like it at all. And I, you know, wasn't into it. <laughs> I love Technicolor. I love the greens and I loved Midge and her brassieres. <laughs> But yeah, I thought it was really not special. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> Alicia, so you, you, as you said, you've you've watched this before. So how was this viewing for you? Yeah, it was good. I mean, I think every time I watch it, I kind of like, or in between watchings, I kind of like my brain sweeps to the side, the things that I didn't like about it. And it really like, um, glorifies the things that I do like about it. So I'm always like, I always get taken by surprise sometimes by like the things that I don't like that. So that happens again this time. Cause like there's a couple of plot holes and, um, and yeah, Jimmy Stewart's character is creepy. And like, he looks as if he's about 10 years older than Midge, who is supposed to have been in college with him at the same time as him. At least so 10 <laughs> years older. Yeah. So, so those little things did still bother me this time around, <laughs> but, uh, but overall, I don't know, some, for some reason, I think it just, despite like those little things, it still like hangs together really well for me. And I still find it like a really compelling movie. I think it's the performances too of Kim Novak and Jimmy Stewart, especially Kim Novak. Mm -hmm. She's so good in this. Um, so yeah, that's how I felt this time. Right. And Steven, how about you on this rewatch? Um, it held together really well for me. It's not like I really enjoy what's happening on the screen, but it's made so well that it's very watchable and you care about everybody, even if you don't like them. And that's what I really enjoyed more than anything else is just seeing how the story kind of unfolded. And um, I just get frustrated every time with seeing how Judy ends up being treated towards the end. But still, I get sucked in, like Alicia said, every single time. You're like, why are you making such a bad decision? But you sort of understand it, but at the same time, you don't. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of what the movie is. It's like you kind of understand what people are doing, even though they shouldn't be doing it necessarily. Um, and I also really paid more attention to Midge this time around. And I really liked the interplay that she had with, uh, with Johnny O. Um, and I, I was really happy to have her as a character, even though sometimes she seemed like she was like the exposition or she was helping to move the plot along. But she was such a good character that I really enjoyed watching her every time. And she did have some agency and you kind of felt for her at the same time. 
Um, but overall, yeah, I just loved looking at it. And it was like a love letter to San Francisco too. If mm -hmm. you didn't want to visit it, then you definitely <laughs> would after seeing this movie. Um, but yeah, I think it held together really well. I like the way you described it, Stephen. <laughs> like I like your movie better than um, <laughs> um, Mia. I mean, I, I feel like I agree with a lot of the points that were made, um, especially Stephen's description was, I think, very apt. I also wanted, or I really liked Midge's character. I wish she was in the movie more. Apparently, there was supposed to be a scene at the end of her listening to a radio report, that, but it got cut, um, which it would have been nice to like see her one more time. I thought she was great. I think it's a good edit, though. because that I that, think so, too. No, That I was going to be them saying that the, the husband went to jail for the murder right so yeah i agree i thought like the ending shot is just so good that i think it's a good like just you're like wait what just happened and then the movie just ends um so i really liked that but i for the purposes of seeing more midge i would have liked more um but yeah i just felt really bad for judy like pretty much the whole movie and especially the last bit when they're at the department store and he's like trying to find the right outfit for her and is making her change her hair and just all of this stuff, I was just, it was like very hard to watch. I was having this like really visceral reaction to it. Um, but yeah, I, I found the movie very compelling. Like I felt like I couldn't turn away from it. I actually watched it twice, which I think is the first time I've done that for any of the movies mm -hmm. that we've watched for this so far. Um, I mean, it helps that it's not super, it's not like three hours long or anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and it definitely like it made me be like oh San Francisco what a beautiful city would love to go back there sometime soon, um, yeah I just overall I found it not necessarily the easiest watch but something that I couldn't look away from and I think the themes of like obsession and you know the lengths we're willing to go through or yeah the lengths we're willing to go through for someone that we love. Although I don't know if anyone actually loved really anyone in this movie. Um, <laughs> I guess the, you know, I don't know. It's just like, even though this movie took it to such an extreme, I was still, it made me think about past relationships when I felt like, oh, I need to change something about myself or I need to be this or like that. Or, oh, I wish this other person would change in this way. Like then everything would be perfect. And obviously this is like that times a thousand, but I think that there's a level there that like anyone can resonate with. Yeah. I enjoyed it even more this time than I did last time. I feel like it is a movie that every time you watch it, there's just more to kind of grab hold of. Cause you can sort of like kind of along the lines of what I think Alicia was saying in a way um, that you can sort of set aside some things and just kind of pay attention to it in a different way. I, I don't think that's exactly what you were saying, Alicia, but I think it benefits the film. Like, I, I think that it's easier to sort of let go of what you think it's supposed to be or what you thought of it as you were watching it that first time and sort of like let it wash over you. And I, I think it it's, there's more to take in. It's, it's a movie that has plenty of text, but so much subtext that it's hard to get it all on the first or even second watch. And I, I feel like this is the first time where I understood the status it's achieved at this point in its history. And I'm not sure if I would say it's the greatest movie ever made. I, it's hard to judge that, you know, like I, it's not my favorite movie of all time, but it's, it's pushing up 
the list for me, like where I understand the conversation around it and I, I, I'm not down on it, you know? Um, so I wanted to bring up something that we kind of talked about in the run up to this conversation via email amongst ourselves of whether this is a doppelganger movie. Cause Laura, you brought that up and I sort of like, I don't want to say I shot it down, but like, I, I was like, is it a doppelganger movie? And I, I guess like it plays on tropes of that, whether it is one or not. And it just sort of depends on like, what is a doppelganger movie? Like, she's, I think that's the question. Yeah. I mean, it, they're all just sort of playing on the trope of it. And mm -hmm. it's whether you buy it or not. And of course this film for me, I didn't buy it. Right. So why is that? Do you think? So you could I say. mean, she has such a distinctive face. Like it's just, give me a fucking break. <laughs> Kim Novak. Sure. Yeah. She's a brunette. I, I thought that she's blonde, but I think her performance, <laughs> I think she does a good job of she does playing, a great job. playing she it does like it's two job. characters. And I like the problem is, is, is that letter scene kind of gives mm -hmm. it all away. I think if we all just kind of hung out and watched her perform, I think it would have had a lot more of a impact for me at the end. Okay. I think it's a doppelganger movie for, for, yeah, for like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> when you're not sure either when you're kind of in the same boat as Jimmy Stewart and you're also like not sure like it, is this the same person and is it, it is, is the mystery part of this movie really over or mm -hmm. what's about to happen here when you're like not sure I do think the letter scene like does it a disservice like I agree with you in my mind whenever I think about the movie my mind always puts the letter scene at the end. I always think it's, I always think it happens at the end and I'm always surprised. I'm like, Oh yeah, this is in the middle of the movie. It reveals like everything, this, like everything. super important twist. But I see. I feel like I the letter agree. didn't reveal anything that you don't already know from the flashback that she just had. That's where yeah, the big but, reveal is. Yeah. So the letter yeah. to me is more just like, Oh yeah. Okay. So she was actually in love with him. She mm -hmm. wasn't just pretending to be, which I think could have sure like could have been just been revealed through the rest of the movie. Um, I think I, yeah. I I think I conflate the two things in my like when I say the letter scene, I mean okay. the letter and the flashback together okay. in one mm -hmm. thing. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think that what he's doing there plays with like his bigger um, theory or or Hitchcock's yeah Hitchcock's bigger theory of suspense and how suspense works. Like he he describes it as he's he's told this story using a bomb. At a, at, during a conversation where there's two people sitting at a table and if you watch them in a movie and they're just having a conversation and then suddenly there's an explosion, there's absolutely no suspense if you didn't know there was a bomb there. But if you, if you show the audience that there's a bomb under the table, then it becomes about like when are the, uh, when or are the characters going to realize there's a bomb under the table because you know it. And so there's suspense there in that. And to me, that's what the, the revelation does is because then it becomes about um, Scotty. Like, is he going to realize what's happening? Because you know. I, so I think I, that, I like that analogy, but I also think we all knew there was a bomb under the table without that happening. Like, I don't think that I knew that. I didn't. That. Yeah, I don't know if we would have either. I did. The first, the first time I saw it, I didn't know until mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, what's this? And then, <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh, I do think it's, I do think it, although I, although I said it does a disservice, I do think it is more compelling to watch Judy 
and know like how tormented she probably really exactly. is. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I wanted to bring um, that up too. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Stephen. I know you. Oh, no, 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 no. It was just like, we, we got a sense of why she was, where motivation was, like you said, Alicia, it was just sort of like, how far is she really going to go for this relationship? Um, and so I felt like that where it's kind of like the twist of it was just like, is she going to go as far as, you know, completely turning into this woman who she really is mm -hmm. or not really is, but how she's acting. Right. Right. And the fact to me that she like rips up the letter, like it, obviously if she had just told him like at dinner that night, like, hey, by the way, crazy story. But like, you know, who knows <laughs> how he would have reacted. But like, would she have wound up thrown off of a tower, not thrown, but either fallen or jumped my in my opinion the jury is out off of the tower probably not you know what I mean so but the fact that she doesn't tell him obviously then you know okay the rest of the movie is going to be this tension here yeah and I think that knowing where she is at with this like as an audience member kind of frees up the filmmaking in a way to, to sort of like focus on different things than you could if you didn't do that and i think it makes it much more interesting it's not just about the plot anymore it's about emotions and uh interactions in a way that uh, you can kind of disconnect it from standard plotting because it is in a way disconnected from that uh, just in the face of it but laura i'm curious you, you said that you knew anyway so what tipped it for you i mean i just think she just has such a specific face and it was all done. I mean, it was such a stylized and effective way that they fell in love so quickly mm -hmm. that of course it was her. <laughs> Why should we, I mean, how do we like, you know, they looked exactly the same. See, I thought they looked, I actually had to, <laughs> I had down. to like do the Amazon x-ray thing. So I was like, wait, is that her? Like I, <laughs> I thought they were so, and the fact that she doesn't, her eyes don't light up at all when she opens the door and sees that it's him. Like that exactly. to me, I mean, obviously like she's, you know, Kim Novak is an incredible actress and like, you know, she needed to land that. Cause if there was even a spark of recognition, then you'd know like, okay, game's over right here. And he would know, but just like her eyes are just so flat and like her attitude is just so like, who the hell is this man standing at my door? And I was like, Oh my God, to see the person who you fell in love with that you thought you'd never see again, they've shown up at your door just to like nail that so well. I was yeah. really like, okay, no, this can't Judy be Judy deserves the Oscar. She does, <laughs> honestly. Right. Yeah, but, exactly. But I also think that's where it plays on the whole doppelganger thing is because that's a trope of movies that you'll have an actor play two characters and that there's a mix up about identity. And I think that that's at first, if I remember correctly, watching it 20 something years ago, that's what I thought was going on is that this one actor was playing two parts and I didn't know until they revealed it, that that wasn't the case. And I think I might've still been fucking confused cause I was, you know, like 17 or something and just didn't know what the hell was happening. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, 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 I don't think that necessarily uh, having one actor in those roles, even if you recognize them gives it away, like, uh, in a, in a way that is like foregone. Like, I understand that you could be like, you could suspect that you could really think that that's the case, but there's still like the movie right. could have gone in a different direction. It could have, except for the letter scene. Well, sure. At, at that point, they've already revealed it though. Or, right. 
Yeah. The like, flashback letter scene, right, right. I think, is yeah, what sure. we should call it for. Because I'm assuming that's it. You're, you yeah. have the same thing as Leisha, right? It's like those two yeah. things back to back. Yeah. Right. I wanted to add to the the doppelganger part. It it made me think just was was Judy actually a doppelganger of Barbara or was or, or Madeline or was it the other way around? Because we don't really know what Madeline was really like. We just get what her husband said about it. Right. So it could have been she was just acting like herself, but just a little bit more to make him fall in love with her. So, I mean, what she was even trying to get at was like, I'm the same person, but you're just not seeing it because I don't look like this other person. Yeah, the only glimpse we get of Madeline, the real Madeline, is is a dummy being thrown <laughs> thrown out a, a a window that's supposed to be a real person in the world of the movie, but is clearly a dummy when you're watching the movie. <laughs> I do think there's a couple things that like that questions that that brings up. I mean, for me, it was like, what do you what do you really love about a person? Is it just like what they look like, or what mm -hmm. does he what is he obsessing over specifically about Madeline? Is it like the mystery of her, is it her look? I mean, I guess it's everything about her, but then that is Judy too. Mm -hmm. So it has to be, there has to be something there. It's that For me, that's why you can kind of understand why she's like willing to kind of go to these lengths mm -hmm. for him because their their connection was like so instant and so like intense. And of course, like you want to, you want that feeling to like last as long as, you know, you can make it last. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then the other thing I was going to say, I, I has totally gone out of my head. So maybe it'll come <laughs> back later. <laughs> yeah. Like she says, you know, she could have gotten away scot-free and not even, you know, entertain the idea of going out with him because she, he really didn't have anything on her. I like that you really said scot-free. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. Scotty. Scotty free. Uh, yeah. I think also this this whole movie can be read and has been read as a metaphor for Hitchcock specifically as a director and directors and filmmakers overall as as like Hitchcock was someone who who liked to cast beautiful women in roles and then if they weren't blonde make them dye their hair blonde and then he would bully them into doing his his bidding to the point that sometimes he ruined their careers in the end uh, that happened to Tippi Hedren most famously maybe. And so this is almost a confession of Hitchcock. If, if you take the movie to be his story in a way that connects to auteurism and the whole auteur theory of like a movie really like revealing the, the filmmaker in a way, and just like these subconscious uh, leanings that come through in it. I think interestingly with this movie, the reception of the movie at the time almost undercuts the whole idea of the auteur theory because he did nothing, it sounds like, but second guess every decision he made about this movie for years or maybe until he died because it it just didn't achieve what he hoped it would in terms of critical or box office success. So he, he, he went down saying like, Jimmy Stewart was too old, I shouldn't have cast him. I think that... Uh, that Kim Novak didn't do a great job and blah, blah, blah. He, he, he made every excuse about it. So if I think if it's an auteur's medium, a director's medium, and then he's like, oh, all my, all my choices were poor, he's sort of undercutting the idea of it. And then it goes on to become the greatest film of all time by, by some polls, at least. Uh, and it's just like, I don't know, everything is uh, contradicting everything else in that or something. Have you guys seen the movie Hitchcock with Anthony Hopkins? Yeah. making of psycho yeah i have not no no um it's okay it, it was not a it was sort of heavy-handed film but it also showed that he's 
a very tortured director that his wife helped, you know, mm -hmm. step in a lot during the making of these films. So I could see him second guessing choices because he might not have been emotionally or mentally stable enough at those times during, I don't, I wasn't there, but you know, right. the psycho didn't look like it was all, you know, it just, mm -hmm. it seems like it takes a village, I guess. And yes, Jimmy Stewart was too old for this part. <laughs> I think he was miscast a hundred percent. But for I agree. me, that was my take on it, but everyone else, you know, a lot of people, obviously for it to be ranking as, to beat out Citizen Kane as mm -hmm. one of the greatest films of all time. People, I'm in a minority here. I so. I thought he was really good in it, but I think it bothered me just like as a plot issue, which can we talk about plot holes after we've done with this? Because yeah, I really, <laughs> there's so many. Um, yes, and that I, was the thing that I forgot. So yeah. We'll, yes. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think that like his age I actually it, it wasn't until the second time I watched it that I picked up on like the midge college engage I mean I had heard it but it just like didn't really register as like a wait a second like how old were both of you like I mean maybe he was in law school because they mentioned him being a lawyer <laughs> and maybe she was a freshman so I was like does okay. that count as a pothole though as much as just kind of yeah they, I, I think I so think plot, they say he that... could be playing a character that's 30 he just doesn't look 30 and it's unrealistic yeah. the other the other guy oh. went to college with them too yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. who yeah. also is looks... like a thousand years old yeah, yeah. I mean same thing maybe uh, Mitch is a child <laughs> prodigy I mean she's amazing I don't think they're so. supposed to be 30 maybe they didn't go right to school maybe they didn't go right to college True. Had, was there like, a war they took a decade long I agree that he's not supposed to be 30 they could say he's supposed to be six and it would just be like a bad decision okay so that's my number one plot hole. My number two is how the fuck did he get off the roof in the very beginning? He's like hanging there. Like, did they? I assumed, like, just I think the first time I watched it, and it's probably like ridiculous. <laughs> just the fact that he clearly had like some sort of like broken ribs or like injuries in his internal body. I was like, maybe mm -hmm. they put like a trampoline or something or like a big parachute and they caught him somehow. Cause like, I just don't see how anyone would be able to go. That's why him. I thought he ended up in a wheelchair. Um, there you go. Mm. <laughs> um, I know there's more, but I'm just going to leave it with like those two. And then Alicia, I know you're wanting to talk. So well, the one, the one, the thing that I'd forgotten earlier was when Stephen asked about how similar were um, the real Madeline and Judy as Madeline. Mm -hmm. Is that it, watching it this time, I realized like, how is it possible that Jimmy Stewart never sees a photograph of what the real Madeline looked like? Because because mm. he saw her at the restaurant. Well, no, he didn't see her at the restaurant. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he that... sees her profile. No, that, no, that was Madeline. Kim Novak. That was, that was Judy. It was Madeline. But he, but I mean, his he friend never from college. No, no, I know. But his friend real... from college tells him this is come see yeah. my wife at this no, thing, so he doesn't need to see a yeah, photograph. I... Yeah. It was so you're saying the plot hole is that he never asks to see a photo. It's not even that. It's that when she dies, this is like a prominent citizen and she True. dies in this crazy way. And there's no picture of her in the newspaper in an obituary mm -hmm. or at a memorial service or anything. Yeah, and like, like, where was Facebook back then? <laughs> well, I also liked. I'm wait, not saying that. But no, no, no. I completely agree with you. I was just making a I, joke. On I, her gravestone, it just says Madeline, wife of whatever <laughs> his name. It does. There's no dates. There's nothing. And I was like, oh, my God, this poor woman. <laughs> One well, more indignity. <laughs> Okay, so supposedly he is essentially catatonic for a year living in this home. So he doesn't know what's <laughs> yeah, going on in the world. 
He missed the he missed the obituary. Okay. <laughs> he didn't miss the inquest. He didn't miss the. That's true. That is true. Inquest. You're right. You're right. Mr. So Rampart. the he other got, explanation. He got, like, severely dressed down. <laughs> there are people who think that the entire movie is in his head, and it, he's just hanging on that ledge. It, oh, none of it happens after that. And what he I dies? would be into that movie. I don't know. Because this one bothered me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so in that case, there can be no plot holes. It's all just dream logic. Yeah, but we don't. Mm -hmm. That's not. That's not what's presented to us, as Laura once famously said. That's not what's shown. Famously. Yeah. If you want to really take it back, we are watching a movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> These aren't real people. So I do want to. I do want to address the Jimmy Stewart casting, though, because to me, like, I totally disagree. I understand what you're saying about the age and the difference in age between him and her. I. I. I think it is odd. I think the the brilliance of casting him though is that he is that do good uh, guy that you know from so many other movies. But then he's playing like this dark character, and I think the movie gets away with so much because of the Jimmy Stewart personality in public that you give him a lot of benefit of the doubt and stick with him through this crazy obsessive journey that he goes on. If you stick with him at all, which not everybody does, obviously. Uh, but I think the success of the movie for anyone who enjoys it so much hinges on it being Jimmy Stewart and him as a person uh, who playing this role. And that's something that Hitchcock did so much of of like casting people because of their public persona and then playing off of that. So I, I, I think that it really elevates, to use the word again, the the movie here. Um, I understand what you're saying though about the whole age difference thing. It is, but I just I just chalked that up to that's what they did in movies then. Like I don't know. I'm not saying it's great. It they should have just aged them all up. Sure, yeah. age everybody else up, or just age yeah. him yeah. down. Did what? It, what didn't Martin Scorsese do that? And some, the Irishman, didn't yes, he? Yes, <laughs> yes. they should have used very, the CGI they had. Yeah, there. yeah exactly. Really just more whatever makeup that they had on Kim Novak to make her look so luminous. Just like put that on Jimmy Stewart. I, it didn't bother me the age thing as much as just Jimmy Stewart being Jimmy Stewart as a complete, you know, total creep soda. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't really want to watch that, you know, like, I mean, you want to have sympathy watch. and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. And yeah. it, it was hard to have sympathy for any of them at the end. Well, I think you're kind of proving my point then, Laura, because I want to watch Jimmy Stewart be a creep soda. And so that's why the movie is successful to me. And you don't want to watch it. So that's why it doesn't work for you. So that casting is very important. <laughs> Alicia, what do you think? Him. I didn't mind him being, I didn't mind Jimmy Stewart. I love Jimmy Stewart and I like him in this. And I, I agree. I think like they should have probably just hired or done something to make Barbara Belgetti's look more around the same age as Jimmy Stewart and the other guy. I didn't have a, pro I, I also like enjoy watching Jimmy Stewart in anything. I think like his, as much as you're right, like he he does play a guy who increasingly like just becomes like this insane creep weirdo by the end of the movie. At the beginning, you kind of need to like really like this guy, <laughs> I think, in order to like follow him on this crazy journey and kind of, I don't know, for me, like uh, it worked for me, Jimmy Stewart yeah. being, being the, the lead. I just think like maybe Barbara Bel Geddes, no disrespect to her, but maybe she wasn't the right choice or the right oh, age she for was so great. Yeah. I like her very much. It's yeah. just a weird, it's just like a, it's just, 
when you think about it, when you've seen it several times and you start to notice mm-hmm. things, you're like, oh, right. wait. I only, a- I've only seen it once. So, yeah. yeah, I saw it. This is the third time I've seen it. And I, I would have liked to have maybe Midge be older, but they had such good chemistry. And mm-hmm. you could tell at the beginning, that's what helps you get on his side is seeing mm-hmm. their relationship. And you realize he's, a, you know, he's friends with this woman that he was engaged to. And they have it's like such an easy chemistry and they trust each other. But, you know, it, it kind of helps the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the other thing that really bothered me is the catatonic part. I mean, so many films do it. And it always just bothers, you know, the bad ones do it. Like Basic Instinct 2 at the end, he, be- <laughs> he becomes catatonic. Or that other movie with Remy Malik and Denzel Washington that just came out. Mm. At the end, he becomes catatonic because it's when, you know, when there's nothing else to really do. Did get he- catatonic. You know, let's <laughs> all get catatonic, guys. It's a new dance craze. Did he become catatonic at the end of that movie? Remy Malik. Remy Mal- yeah, he does. I don't remember. Spoiler that. alert, I guess. Yeah. Sorry. People haven't seen this movie. Oops. I'm not going to watch it. So. <laughs> oh, me neither. But it, was, <laughs> like, it wasn't a good movie. It wasn't good, but I mean, it just, yeah, bothers me. Well, Stephen, according to Netflix, every person in America saw that movie. So no spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> I The catatonic scene to me, the thing that I took away from it, besides my favorite line of the movie that I will share when we do our favorite scene later, <laughs> um, was because kind of the first time I watched it, I was like, so is Midge still in love with him? Is that what we're supposed to think here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came down on the side of yes. But then when he's oh, yeah. catatonic and she's taking care of him, she's like, says like, you know, basically like, don't worry anymore. Mother's here. And I was like, uh. <laughs> That's what they called each other back then. I guess A little so. bit of psycho No, overlap. there was a lot of mother-father right. things. All the Marilyn Monroe movies, she calls them daddy. Yeah. Totally just, I was like, Disgusting. sweetie, if you ever want him to fall in love with you, if that he comes you guys out for just try coma. it. And let me know. Zaddy. <laughs> Let's um, table that. <laughs> so, Laura, you had a, a question for us. Uh, I think based on uh, your like or dislike of the movie. I'm just going to say you pretty well telegraphed your your opinion about the yeah, movie to all I of just, us in advance with this. But I uh, really feel like if without that letter scene, this film would have been a lot more compelling for me. Yeah. They didn't just give you the entire plot twist. Okay. Uh, well, what's the question for the yeah. people? Oh, I'm sorry. My question was, if there was one thing that you could change about this movie, one thing, to make it exactly what you wanted, what would it be? And the answer could be nothing, because mm-hmm. Jeremiah loves it. No, I would. Okay, I, <laughs> he wants to marry it. I would say I think that they should better clarify the age range of those two characters in relation to each other. I agree with you, but I I want to keep the Jimmy Stewart casting. I, I agree that they should have aged her up to meet him. I think that that would that would solve that for me, and I'd be happy. Cool. I want to hear what Steven says because Steven really likes the movie and I can tell I'm annoying him. You're not annoying me. I just think it's funny. <laughs> what is it? Uh, but I actually do agree with you about the letter. I didn't think oh, it was cool. necessary. Um, I, I felt like I, you know, I could have figured it out on my own. Um, but as we were talking about it, it is true. We get to see what um, what the motivation is with Judy. And that's the only reason why I think the letter was necessary. Because other than that, I would have just thought that why would she be so lovesick that she would want to be with this guy? 
So, but I don't think it was necessary for it. And I think the, the climax would have been completely different when you find out everything at the end. It would have been more like a murder mystery almost than it was. It was sort of like that other movie that we saw uh, that it, it reminded me of where um, the characters, like it nece- it wasn't necessarily about the murder. It was about like the, what happened afterwards. Uh, La Ventura. La Ventura. La Ventura. Yeah. I was thinking yeah. of that too. Yeah, yeah. I had two things. So one... I would actually add on to the flashback letter scene um, because to me, it was interesting that they never talked about how Judy and what the heck was the dude's name? Madeline's husband. Uh, Gavin. 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 Yes, exactly. How they met, how they fell in love. Like she must have really loved him to be like, oh yeah, sure. I'll go along with this insane plot for you to kill your wife. Or he must have given her a ton of money. Why is she still living in this kind of dumpy hotel then? I just, I felt like there needed to be something there. So I wish that the flashback had almost started with like her being swept off her feet by him and like how just, it didn't have to be long, just like a couple scenes of like just explaining that. Cause I just thought, and then also he's like, okay, I'm leaving forever and like is obviously gonna like flee the country just in case <laughs> she does talk or stuff goes sideways. So I just thought that, like, what is her original motivation, love or money or both of them? And it just doesn't. That's a really good plot hole. Yeah. Well, I I have something to add to that. It kind of makes me think that um, Jimmy Stewart's character, when he saw her in the street, it mirrored what happened with Gavin. I feel like it was, you know, he saw an opportunity Mm -hmm. and then he kind of tried to, you know, make her into something that he wanted although it was for money and promised her all this stuff. And it sounded like, you know, once she was done, it was over, but she kind of fell into that. And so she has a pattern of kind of doing that because it's same thing happened with Jimmy Stewart's character. Yeah. That would make sense for sure. Wait, I have a question about this. Did I can't remember for certain now they do say in there that they had a romantic thing, her no. and Gavin or no, but that there sounds was like what... line. Did he train you and, in- yeah so maybe I think it was just a right. connotation but isn't between... that what you were saying i guess i just assumed it was based on stuff that i was reading mm. later where they say one thing that i saw noted was like she was his judy was his mistress and then he threw her away in the same way that the carlotta character mm-hmm. i mean com- probably completely made up story so i guess there's not really that but you know in the same way that she was thrown away so i guess i just assumed that either they were in a genuine relationship and then it just worked out because we never really see the wife, like how much do they really look alike and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, maybe I your theory seems totally plausible, Stephen, that he saw her and was like, oh, you're the person that I can manipulate to get my wife knocked off. But it just seems to me like, like Judy seemed young, willing to please, like someone who could have been swept up in things really easily. So mm-hmm. I was just curious. Like she says that he gave her money, mm-hmm. but like little, someone would have to give yeah. me a lot of money to get me involved I really in something like, that, like you that. Said, that. you said knocked off. That sounded tough. <laughs> <laughs> My other thing that bothered me, this is more minor, but when they're doing that like quasi trial that they do of his, it's oh. at the mission. And I was just like, what the heck? Like trials have to be at the scene of the crime. It's not like in a courthouse or something like that. Just that whole thing really bothered me. <laughs> I'm just like, why is this 
I understand that was why. That's my it, favorite scene. <laughs> I think I think that's an inquest. That's like an, a coroner's inquest. It's not a trial where they're just trying to determine like manner of death. And I don't know. Maybe the like government building is like right across the street from the mission or something. They're in the same like thing. Because at first, the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I was wrong. Maybe it is just like a similar looking like Spanish style architecture building. But then I'm like, oh no, they're freaking there. Like there's the stables thing right there. <laughs> Sure. Maybe it, if it is a coroner's inquest, I don't know anything about those. So, so within was the, like the judge dude. Was he the coroner? They just do it to to figure out the it, manner of death. Is like, there a not jury? Every place does it. What is there no. normally a jury? Oh yeah, there wasn't. No, movie, no. Wasn't there? Was there a jury? Well, I think yeah. Like, I think it's just people. Oh, that's true. They did. No, have, and they're like, like here's our verdict. Like two seconds later, they don't even maybe go into another maybe room. sometimes they do have maybe sometimes they do have juries, but it's just a thing to determine like if you need to further investigate the death or not. So like if they, if the jury or the coroner comes back and says, this was like, this seems to have been homicide or this, or it's, or it's still mysterious and like you still need to investigate or they might come back with like suicide or accident or whatever. So it's akin to a grand jury. Sort of, yeah. It's very common in Great Britain. Mm, so I that's how it's you know. in like every mystery novel by Agatha Christie, there's an inquest. Right. So I had to like research that. I just chalked up the location to like movie logic and like, okay, maybe they were like, you know what? We rented out this place for two weeks and it only took us 11 days to shoot the other scene. So let's just do it here. Why not? Rather than like have to like go to a fake courthouse or something but i was just like wait why are they there it doesn't make any (laughs) sense i mean they probably Um, shot that on a soundstage whatever and like the nuns are there i don't know it just didn't seem like something those bitches i thought they were witnesses yeah they were witnesses that's probably why they would be there which also then i guess we can talk about this later i want to talk about like the very ending no let's do it well no at least she didn't get to say her thing did she no, there is another plot hole in that whole thing to me. Like, how did Gavin Elster and Judy get out of the tower without anybody and away from the mission without anybody seeing them before, like, the police arrived after? Like, how did they get out? The back staircase. <laughs> Was there a back staircase? No. <laughs> I, so, like, I, I thought they, they just waited did. until everybody left and they, like, Hit but somewhere. the police should have gone up there. The police not immediately. No. They said in there, I'm not saying it makes sense, but they do say that they escaped before the police showed up and, and looked over the whole place. Oh, they must have ran. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't understand how they got past happened. Jimmy Stewart, though, because he's like collapsed No, because he leaves. I he leaves. No, yeah, they he show him. Right. I think they'd mentioned during the inquest that he ended up at his apartment and he didn't stick around. So he right. was probably like not paying attention to anything at that point. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, they said he blacked yeah. out. But they show him when the the nuns and mm-hmm. someone else are getting the ladder and going up to the mm-hmm. body. <clears throat> they show him exiting stage left. Or- that was a great scene, by the way. I loved watching that. Yeah. It was cool. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Um, so the thing I was actually going to change though is the the midge stuff not I wouldn't remove it because I think she's an important character but I hate like how she I hate how Hitchcock has her be this kind of like she's cool but she's also a little bit like pathetic Go and like it. yeah I'm like, like stupid, why stupid midge. yeah stupid yes midge. that whole scene I hate and where she so shows sad. up at his house and she's like watching Kim Novak leave and she's kind of like she's kind of spying on him i'm like what's yeah. going what why is this happening i i just don't like that and and i don't like i guess we're see we see like 
we see Judy as this sort of character that's from like this lower so socioeconomic status. And then you have Madeline or Judy as Madeline as this woman that's like very wealthy and put together and beautiful, but obviously like mysterious or whatever. And then you have Midge who's just like this normal person, but she's portrayed in this like ridiculous, like pathetic way. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't like that. Like I would have given her a little more, like give her a boyfriend or a husband or something. They could still be friends. Or a bone. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> She's like the Philip Seymour Hoffman of Boogie Nights of her day. Oh. It's just like, I'm a fucking <laughs> like the, idiot. <laughs> I know. The scene with the painting was really hard. I kind of forgot about that while we've been talking about this. But yeah, it was yeah. Just like, oh my it's, God, girl, it's, it's, why did you just do that? Like, yeah. no. <laughs> it's too soon. Yeah. Then she's supposed to be like the smart, like, a, yeah. you know, a smart middle class, like, accomplished. Like, she has like a yeah. career. She's supposed to be like this career woman. And yet she's like, a complete idiot when it comes to. She's lacking because she just doesn't have his love. Mm. Yeah, and if she would just yes. take off her glasses, she would look just exactly. like him. No, she would, it would be so. like, yeah. <laughs> you get out of those sweaters, you know. Oh, the yeah. sweaters! <laughs> Seriously, put on a bustier, sweetie. I know, honey. on. <laughs> you wanted to talk about the ending? Yeah, well, just like obviously, the last like ten minutes is so intense. You know what's coming. He sees the necklace. He drives her out there. She must have this. You know, she see, looks at the sky like she did when she was Madeline, and is like, "Oh shit! Like, are we going to this place again?" She's obviously terrified. And then, in like a total reversal of him trying to grab Madeline and pull her back, he's basically like dragging her up the stairs, which was also just like really hard to watch. Just like, oh my god, I did read too an earlier. And one of the endings that was tossed around, I don't know how far in the process this went, he was actually going to strangle her in the tower. And mm -hmm. so like then once I knew that and I rewatched it, like there's definitely some scenes where like he has her hand, his hands on her throat. And anyways, it was yeah. just all like really intense. And then she, you know, they get up there. Okay. Seems like maybe he's not going to throw her off the tower, which I was sort of like, is he gonna do that or is he gonna like snap to his senses once they get up there and he's actually at the point and then the scary nun lady walks up and judy freaks out and either jumps or falls out of oh. the window so i was curious what people thought like does she jump because she thinks it's madeline's ghost come back to haunt her or someone else who's coming to get her or something or does she just step backwards and fall? What did y'all think? I think she fell. I also thought she just fell. She was startled by the nun. Yeah. Well, it looked like there was a second where it was like a misshapen figure and it looked yeah. like almost like death or whatever. And I think mm -hmm. she was just like freaked out over that. And I think she fell. I think this question starts earlier. Why do you think she wore that necklace? Right. Because obviously... <laughs> mm -hmm. she this wanted to like, give up the game she want yeah she want i think that some part of her she wanted to get caught I, yeah i think she didn't want to have to pretend to be madeline anymore i think she wanted to be able to be herself and she's like in this tormented relationship where this man she loves him he doesn't really love her he loves some idea he has of her as a different person and she's all in tied into that as being like partially responsible for the death of that person. I think like, I do think that maybe some question. part of her was like, 
this has to end. Has yeah. to end. Mm. yeah. Well, I think that certainly did. I think this is why maybe the letter itself. I don't mean the revelation uh, that she's in on the plot and that she, or anything. I mean the 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 letter where she says that she's in love with him actually, and then she rips it up. I think that that's how that becomes important in a way because that's setting up that she wants to tell him setting up that she knows that she has those feelings um, makes it make more sense potentially that she wants to give away what's going on to him without having to say Mm -hmm. it because she can't get up the courage to actually say it it seemed like at the end also like he seemed to be turning a little bit towards mm-hmm. her like when she was trying to explain what happened just the expression on his face i think he sort of was coming around oh, so yeah. that's why i feel like she was mm-hmm. pushed she wasn't pushed she, I mean, she just fell i right. don't think he pushed her i think she jumped though i well i i think she but he jumped. is responsible for all that he didn't push her this yeah. little theatrics he like. had three i'm sorry this movie's supposed to be like what the span of like a year and change or something and this man has been around three people who have all jumped or fallen to their deaths mm-hmm. like a little suspicious if i say so well, he, he should have gotten that vertigo uh taken care of as soon as he could he did have you guys, have you guys ever seen well, the movie high, high anxiety by mel mel brooks i liked it better wait so did you see that before you saw this <laughs> so how much was given away by that Oh, yeah, much. maybe that's it's why different. It's totally it different. Because that's a that's a take on all of Hitchcock's movies, right? Yeah. It's, okay. it's, oh, I want to watch that. Now. Like the airplane version of Hitchcock. Right, right. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I think that is a really good point, too, Alicia. I hadn't thought about that. I was yeah. just kind of like, did she forget? Did she? She that thinks he's going to forget. Me. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it always bothered me. I'm like, how could you not... How could you even keep that necklace in your house? Well, and I kind of actually thought that when she had, I thought stuff was going to be revealed because she has the gray suit, you know, hanging in her Mm -hmm. closet. Mm -hmm. And when Mm -hmm. he, Mm -hmm. um, and I assume other clothes too. And when she's getting her hair colored and he's like, Mm -hmm. oh, tell her I'll wait at her apartment or at her hotel room. I was like, oh shit. Like, what is he going to find? Is he going to find the ripped up letter? Because it seemed like it had only been a few days or something like is he mm-hmm. gonna throw something in the trash and see a little scrap of paper and tape mm-hmm. a note together or something like that um yeah so yeah i wondered that too but how funny was it all the times that he's like taking her around to like get the right the just the right suit and get her hair like just the right color and the women that work at the stores are all like we know what you want <laughs> like, <laughs> or that he says that like, you couldn't care about this like I know, oh, I, know. I was like, what? <laughs> you don't care what color your hair is, do yeah. you, woman? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. It can't possibly matter to you yeah, why can't. I like you or the things I like about you. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, yeah that, I wouldn't say funny. Hmm? Well, not that, but like, the, yeah. the, I thought the sales clerks and, and the like woman at the beauty salon were funny because they were like, we know what you want. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, like, I wonder with those sales clerks, especially at the department store, were they the same ones that, you know, a year earlier? Yeah. The suit, it, 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 oh, like my. literally the same woman. They're like, you look familiar. Right. Yeah, like, I feel maybe. like that inspired pretty woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Except it was another guy and he was a shipping magnet, right? And then he was telling them like, "But you need to dye your hair like this." Yeah. <laughs> so, bringing it back to the ending, apparently this is the only movie of Hitchcock's uh where the killer gets away with it in the end if I mean Gavin does. 
I think usually they weren't allowed to do that because of the the codes of, about morality that they put on the stuff if you wanted to put your movie out in America. Um, but my only argument with that is I think the birds get away with it in the birds. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, I, I do find it interesting that this is maybe the only other one where, where the killer gets away. Well, I'm glad they don't have the scene of Midge was listening to the radio and hearing about how he was caught in Europe. Mm. And I'm glad they didn't do that because yeah. I think it's just like such an iconic ending of him like standing on the edge of that window looking down and then it just ending. Like I imagined being in a movie theater when this movie came out and everyone just being like, oh shit, oh my God, like that just happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Much yeah. better. It's, it's it was kind of like the Magnificent there. Ambersons. Yeah, yes. like, we're just tacked on. You're like, wait, what? Yeah. Right, right. Well, <laughs> and we caught the guy. And, and it's also just very indicative of Hitchcock's way of ending movies. It's like this movie is over. We're out. It's not like Spielberg where there's like five endings in a row. It's just like no denouement or what at all. It's just the plot is wrapped up. The movie is over. Get the fuck out of the theater, please. I love it. Well, it starts with his. It starts with his first. episode of vertigo and then at the end he can obviously he can look down out the window Mm -hmm. he doesn't have vertigo anymore problem solved happy ending yeah (laughs) only three people had to die on the way (laughs) collateral damage exactly but no i agree i don't think that that they needed that scene at all do you guys know that hitchcock had a fear of eggs oh he had like a super phobia because he looks like like an egg So what was everyone's favorite scene or moment or something else about the movie? Mr. Roper. (laughs) So just for everybody at home, she's referring to the coroner or whoever was the head of that inquest as Alicia laid it out for us. Apparently he looked like Mr. Roper. So is that your answer, Laura? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Oh, no. (laughs) Alicia, uh, what was your favorite element of the movie? Um, I like the Muir Woods sequence when they're looking at the sequoias and they're looking at the age of the tree. And um, I don't know, I just like the whole San Francisco, Northern California-ness of it all. I mean, I find something different that's my favorite every time, but that was my favorite this time. I felt like that scene was really haunting and yeah. creepy and I don't know, it got me this time. Mia? So my favorite scene is right before Madeline jumps when they're embracing in like the lawn area before she runs into the church because I thought you know she's like saying like if you love me then you'll never see me again or like something along those lines and the first time I watched it obviously I didn't know what the secret plot was and stuff so I thought it worked really well there but then when you know and you rewatch it again it also works really well so I just thought that was good and then my favorite line from the movie is when when he's in the sanatorium and Midge goes and talks to the doctor and she's like, he was in love with her and he still is. I don't think Mozart's going to help him. And I was like, oh my God, I just want to say, I don't think Mozart Mozart is going to help like about like work situations or something like that. It was just, and then she just like walks out of the room and the doctor just like shuts the door behind her and there's no like what's the treatment plan going to be then or you know anything it was just so like lol doctors back in the day so yeah i really like that steven how about you 
Before I say something, um, Alicia, I did write down a cool quote from when they were talking about the sequoias that they were always green and never living. I thought that oh. was kind of an interesting thing, yeah. considering that like her uh, Madeline's color scheme was green and even mm -hmm. Judy's mm -hmm. were. So mm -hmm. green was, was definitely cool. a super important color of this film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But my favorite shot of the movie, I think it was when um, Madeline was near the Golden Gate Bridge and there was just like that shot of her when you could see her high heels and like the way that she was kind of standing that really kind of stuck out to me. But overall, I just, I really like Midge. I like those scenes that she had with uh, Jimmy Stewart's character. I just really enjoyed those. And uh, I really like the score. I really like the weird design elements in the FX sequence uh, by Saul Bass. I think he did the, that sequence. I know he did the design stuff. Um, so that stuff is great. But my favorite thing in the movie is when she finally gets her hair done the way that he wants it and comes out of the, the bathroom after pinning it up and she's in that green light um, and she looks like a ghost and then she comes out and then they do that one shot that spins around them and the mm. setting changes and I don't know how they did it. I don't know if mm. they did that practically on set. I don't know if they did some sort of rear projection type of thing, um, but it's it's just, it's such a good shot and just gets it like the whole movie right there in like 30 seconds or something. Um, and I was trying to find out how they did it. Just, I mean, I didn't dig like super hard. I didn't have that much time to look it up, but I, I was Googling and just couldn't come across anything yet. So I don't know if somebody knows, I'd be curious if anybody listening, um, I, I would <laughs> definitely be curious to, to know how they did that. Um, Cause you know, they didn't have CGI as we talked about earlier. Um, <laughs> So has this movie, as far as everyone's concerned, stood the test of time or does it resonate today? Who wants to start us off? I think it has stood the test of time and I think it still resonates. I think it's a great movie. And I don't know if I'd say it's the best movie of all time. Maybe once we watch more of these movies, but I definitely liked it more than Citizen Kane. So I'm fine with it besting that movie. Hmm. I, it still resonates for me, obviously. I, I, I really do love this movie. And I just remember the first time I saw it, I was just like blown away by it and subsequent viewings. It's always, I always continue to be surprised by different things about it. And I do think there's some cheese, there's some cheesiness and some campiness to it. Mm -hmm. um, but I kind of like that and it doesn't bother me. And like I said at the beginning, I think just like the performances and the I guess the score and everything that sort of goes into it, it just hangs together really well, even despite like those, those little things. Steven. Yeah, I think it does stand the test of time. And you know, what Alicia says is true. Whenever you look at it, there's something else that you can find in that movie that you didn't see before. Um, even down to what they're all wearing. It's just like, I found myself envying what uh, Jimmy Stewart's character was wearing sometimes just because it was just so classic. And just the way that like the, the dress was and the way that they kind of framed the shots it just looked really beautiful. Of course, I saw the cleaned up version, I guess, that they had redone. So it just looked spectacular. And as far as the plot goes, it's something that you can revisit and, and find more things in. So I, I think it does stand the test of time. You can watch it anytime. As the other person who liked the movie, I'll say that I, I do think it stands the test of time. I think a big part of why it does to me is that the whole thing is so heightened. Like that doesn't seem like any San Francisco that actually existed fully. You know, like the that place Ernie's is like, does a place actually look like that? Or do lights work like this in the real world? No. Like so much of this <laughs> seems like 
a dream. I think the thing I read from the book at the start of the show calls it a dreamscape version of San Francisco or something mm -hmm. like that. I think that taking it out of a sense of total reality lets it be more timeless and mm -hmm. still be effective today in a way that I think if it was too realistic in the way it was shot at the time, it, it might not have aged as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my thoughts. And Laura is the, is the, uh, relative Stay naysayer. Fair. What, what yeah. do you think? I think visually it was beautiful film. Um, stylistically, it was really interesting. Um, I think it was just kind of ridiculous. They fall in love for three days. He gets caught a tonic for a year. <laughs> and he sees the same girl with just a, three shades darker hair and it gets all weird and she just goes with it and then yeah but it's not my bag baby i just want to say to that i think that your response is the normal response by most people on first viewing i think mia is the odd one out uh, i think most people when they see this movie for the first time are like okay i, I like it but i don't like everything about it if they like it at all or they're just like what the fuck is this i think that that's pretty normal it's, I just want to say that it's a beautiful thing how you explain me to our listeners as well as understand me. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Every time. No, it's just, it makes, it's really nice. It could be a lot worse. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's very charitable. Well, I'm not trying and to be I charitable. I'm trying to tell you to watch it more. It. <laughs> watch it again. Yes. I, I, you know what I really want to watch is Rear Fucking Window. I love that movie. Yeah. I love it's it. on the list. No, I it's on Amazon Prime. I thought it was on the list, but it's not. So, I mean, yeah, it on your own. Yeah, I'm going to watch that movie. You will not next. be sorry. I, I want to watch it too. It yeah. was like next up on Amazon. Like, mm -hmm. right. It was the very next movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's the first Hitchcock movie I ever saw. And I saw it when I was like little, like under age 10. My mom would just show me whatever she was watching. She was like, yo, I'm watching this. You're watching it too. <laughs> so <Sure>. like <laughs> I saw that pretty young. And I think that like the whole, I think that the Hitchcock thing like imprinted on me or something. Cause I really like Hitchcock <laughs> a lot. <laughs> One question real quick from what you read earlier. Sorry. I meant to bring this up sooner, but it describes Jimmy Stewart's character as like a wannabe necrophiliac or something like that. Yeah. And I was yeah, like, I, yeah. I don't think being, I think a necrophiliac is when you want to have sex with dead people, not just being, yeah. people, tons of people are in love with their deceased spouse or something like that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So I just want to raise a point of objection to Yeah, this that. is not necrophilia. Yeah. No. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe that is part of it, but I think no. being in love no. with someone who is dead is a normal thing. Thing for many people so sure. I, I thought they were kind of just you know taking reaching yeah they were talking yeah, about totally. it's not a coincidence that her name was madeline the cookie mm -hmm. for which you find comfort as a child <laughs> and i was like jesus fucking christ shut up i know right. i read that all in some y'all shut the fuck up yeah anyway um <laughs> laura you have a bonus question for us which unfortunately we didn't get a chance to put it into the, the Facebook group. Um, just wasn't working far enough in advance for this one. But uh, anyway, do you want to ask us the question? Well, I think we sort of broached it a little, the idea of doppelganger as a film trope. And does it ever work? And if so, what's the film that you would want to mention that you really enjoyed that in? Um, and I know this film 
is sort of touching on that, not necessarily that, but in a way, all of them are. And you could there. There's all arguments when we we talk about it. I think. So was there something you were thinking of? I'm curious. I was thinking of adaptation. Yeah. I thought that was a successful, but it's also kind of, is he really a twin? Is it in his mind? Does he exist? You know, things like that. Um, But I've never seen body double. So I'd like to see that. And I tried to watch this movie Moon with Sam Rockwell. That's supposed to be a similar concept, but I got bored. Right. (laughs) Well, you know me in space, so I won't be watching that. One. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia, what what about you? Any doppelganger movies that the, come to mind? The only one that I could think of, because I think I I think I've seen it. I've seen it a lot in like TV and like sci-fi TV shows or like soap operas. But I guess it always comes down to being like an evil twin or like a clone <laughs> or something. I, mm-hmm. It's very rare that you really see like a doppelganger yeah. story. Yeah. Um, but which I guess is like sort of the argument, but I do think that it, it can expand to include other things. And the only movie that I could really think of that I really um and it's really not a doppelganger movie, but it's um it's Mulholland Drive, where it's really just like kind of the same I character. Yeah. Yeah, in two different ways. But I like I said, I, I really was struggling to find like a one that one that would like strictly adhere to doppelganger. But I love Mulholland Drive. Like it creeps me the heck out every time I watch it. I love it. <laughs> Steven, so what about mine. you? Um, I would like to say I know who killed me. That movie with uh, <laughs> Lindsay Lohan. No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> with Lindsay Lohan. I thought you would say um, no. the Parent Trap. That was what no, popped into well, my head as soon as you said this. <laughs> Hey, yeah, I think that the definition of what a, uh, a, I guess, a doppelganger is, is kind of up in the air as far as like, is it a duplicate or is it a, you're, you know, the the version of yourself that's like the most pure version. And I remembered seeing Dave and I thought that movie yeah. sort of was like a doppelganger. That's a doppelganger yeah. movie for sure. Yeah, yes. because it was like yeah. the best, the best qualities of what the person was, yeah. you know, in, in somebody else. Yeah, and yeah. That, that, I thought about that one and that led me to think of The Great Dictator, which is also... Um, definitely a doppelganger movie to me and mm-hmm. plays on real life doppelgangers, uh, Hitler and Chaplin. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a really good example. Anna's on one. the list, I think, right? I don't think so. There's a couple oh, other Chaplin. So. No, there's okay. three other Chaplin movies, I think, but I don't think that one's on. Okay, I think a lot of action films took that as well as mm-hmm. like, um, I mean, from anything from Hitman to like Sherlock Holmes, there's always like that right. element of someone getting mistaken no reconstructive surgery oh, so they can gotcha. kind of be yeah the mm. dop- the, the we were talking about this face-off count and you yeah, might have because because they're not really <laughs> doppelgangers necessarily but it kind of plays on it still and i think most twin movies or so many twin movies do like play twins. on the doppelganger thing because <laughs> at first you think that they're yeah, like twins. Like, because I do think that you can make an argument that that's playing on the doppelganger thing because it's I like it is. twins and then they're not so much. But anyway. And that's why it's so great. <laughs> um, So for me, the movie I was going to say is Us, uh, the horror movie from a couple years back, mm-hmm. which I think is just such a good movie. Like I was kind of rereading the Wikipedia page about it today and I was like, oh my God, I want to watch this movie again. Like, And I think I've already seen it 
two or three times and I just think it's so good I know the second time was on an airplane just to asterisk it a bit um I just think it's so scary and Lupita Nyong'o is so freaking good in it and just I do not know how she played those two. I mean, I do. She's an Academy Award winning actor and stuff, but well, she should um, have won again for that. But she, she should have. I know. Yeah, I know. It didn't get. I don't think it got any reception. Oscar nominations. No, people weren't really into it. No. Well, the Academy wasn't really into it. I haven't seen it. Actually. It's so... I haven't either. Oh my god, guys, have you seen it, Alicia? No, not yet. I know. I know the concept. But okay, I seen it. don't watch it tonight because it's too scary to watch at night. But like next weekend, <laughs> who are you talking to? <laughs> it's scary. No, the last I time scared. I watched. Yeah, I watched it on a plane. It was actually March 2020, and I was flying back from New York back to Austin. Uh-huh. And the movie is, you know, about a lot of things, but is about a terrifying home invasion, which is like always been one of my bigger fears. And then mm. I was back at our apartment at night and we had this huge window up in the front and Jeremiah went out to like walk the dog or something. And then when he came back, he banged on the window really scary, like he was going to break in and it was awful. <laughs> so it's too scary for me to watch at night, but Alicia, maybe you. Um, but anyways, it's so good. Like the acting is great. The soundtrack is great. It's just, it's such a good movie. I highly, highly recommend it. Um, so yeah, and cool. has excellent doppelgangers in it. Yeah. I'll also throw out The Prestige. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. um, our next episode is Alicia's third pick. So Alicia, do you want to tell us what that is? Oh, yes. It's Lawrence of Arabia starring Peter O'Toole. Uh, from 1962, <laughs> directed by David Lean. Available to rent on Amazon, Google, Apple, etc. Yeah, it doesn't look like that one is available <laughs> with the subscription anywhere right now. So you gotta, oh. you gotta pay. Oh, sorry, uh, I didn't realize that. I'll pay you. for some O'Toole. Yeah, right. <laughs> so. Omar Sharif's in it too. Mm-hmm. So, oh, hey, you know, okay, that man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> any final thoughts? We never talked about the dream sequence. Oh, the yeah. one where he yeah. has the same dream that she always talks about. Yeah. 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 I'm just it like in passing, but yeah, we never yeah. really did a deep dive into it, but that's fine. Yeah. It was just like something that we never really because it, it was just like it was jarring for me with the first time I saw it, I think. Right. Save it and, for when yeah. we do our like, what did we forget okay. to talk about? Write it down. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Write it down. Write it down. Um, so <laughs> that's it for this episode of the Stereoactive Movie Club. We invite you to join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Stereoactive Movie Club. You can also email us at stereoactivemovieclub at gmail.com, or you can send us a voice message on our show page at anchor.fm slash Stereoactive Movie Club. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) That's too fast. Vertigo. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media. Stereoactive Media.